Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Flitz. We're back, and they've let us back in the studio again. My key works again. It's about time. It's about time. You know what? I know that Rick and Nick have kind of a jealousy complex that they seem to deal with when it comes to us hosting this show. Katie, bar the door, guys. Good job. Nice but th- this has gone too far here as of late. It's about time. I'm, I'm glad we finally got that locksmith to help us break through that apparatus that they had on attached to the door. And you're welcome. Three weeks of night school to learn how to be a welder. I know. Burned right through their Katie bar. It paid off. Everything is still intact here in the studio, and we are back. Welcome back to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. It is good to be with you. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks does indeed still exist. We are your movie podcast resource, and we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. We are thrilled that we can be here. Uh, we're thrilled that the Bemidji Theater still remembers that we exist. We're glad that uh, that we can reconnect with them, too. Great place to go catch a movie on Highway 2. They've got their $5 movie nights on Tuesdays and all kinds of great movies that you can find there that are local and that are current and that you can catch up on in terms of what is happening with the movies. It's the Bemidji Theater, and we're glad to still have them aboard as our sponsor of the podcast. You know, Dave, here's the thing. We have been recording a couple of episodes, you and I, over the last the several the, the last several weeks, the, the interim, the last few months even. This has been the equivalent of when a movie gets stuck in production cycles and production nightmares because, wouldn't you know it, the two guys who this podcast is named for, they kept bouncing our episodes back and forth between them. You post it. No, you post it. No, you post it. No, you post it. And then none of them got posted. We're like the new mutants of podcast. I know. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking when I was getting ready for the episode today. Uh, well, here we go. We are turning the corner. We've got some current events to talk about that uh, kind of look back. And we've got a whole new year moving in. I don't think we could do a decade preview. I think that's going to be crazy. That's a little um, much. That's yeah. a little deep. That's a little deep. But hey, this the uh, remainder of the winter of 2019-20 is looking kind of eventful, uh, which tends to be a quiet time of the box office year, but not so much for 2020 and right through Memorial Weekend. Not quite as much this year, it would seem, well, anyway. there's no Avengers movie this year. No. So I think we're kind of, that was the new normal, so to speak, or the temporary normal. I think we've gone back to the old normal. So this just illustrates the point. There is no normal. And maybe they are trying to figure out what their post-endgame life is going to be looking like, too, to some extent. Yeah. Trying to figure out what that's going to be. They've had a couple of couple of irons in the fire, and we'll tell you about a few of them coming up here pretty soon. Um, in particular, what's going to be this this summer? So, thought I had a sneeze coming, but I don't. Oh, thank goodness! Oh, well, you got you know Black Widow. We'll talk a little bit more about that. That's and, the main iron in the yeah, fire for Marvel. Yes, and more coming. So we'll see. 
So what do you think of the Oscar nominations, Dave? That's where we're going to begin today as we take a look at what is shaping up in the next couple of weeks for the Oscars. We've just had the Golden Globes, and now we're looking forward to uh, for the little golden statues that they're going to be giving out. Um, So we've gotten the Academy Award nominations, and nine are up for Best Picture. Joker did extremely well. It leads the way with 11 nominations. Several other movies had 10 nominations as well. But what did you think on first glance? You know, I think 2019, which is what the 2020 Oscars are all about, it was a fine year. There wasn't really anything, and I do mean there wasn't anything, that blew me away that wasn't a performance. You know, some acting performances, absolutely. I thought, uh, like Joker's leading the the category, was it 11 nominations, I think it is? And uh, as far as the acting performance goes by Joaquin Phoenix, absolutely. It's a very different take off the Joker. Is it my personal favorite take off the Joker? Actually, no. You know, I think he did a different spin off of it. I think, uh, like a lot of people, I think Heath Ledger right now is the bar to be broken. He went a very different way. But the movie itself is a lot like, uh, it's like Taxi Driver with face paint is what it reminded me of. If Martin Scorsese did a, did a Joker origin movie, that would be about it. Um, it, it aside from his performance, it wasn't, I didn't think it was an amazing movie. It didn't blow me away. It's not a bad movie. It just, you know, you get some movies that get so overhyped and then you watch it. Like, I don't think it lived up to the billing necessarily. But the, the only things across the board for 2019 that really kind of got my attention was a very satisfying conclusion to the Avengers and the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1, 2, 3. Um, and some performances that were across the board. Beyond that, it was kind of an underwhelming year, says I. All right. What do you think? I thought 20. I, I enjoyed 2019 as a movie year because I came in not really circling my calendar as much this year of this is a movie I absolutely have to go see. And it ended up leaving me getting to be kind of surprised then with some of the movies that I did see. And when I look at the movies that are up for best, for best picture, I go, I went to see that movie. I didn't get to go see that movie, but I'm planning to watch it here at some point pretty soon. Same with that one. That movie, it's I went to go see that one. It's hard to grow up, isn't it? You get too yes. much time to not do the things you want And then do. there's one that I circle going, that is absolutely a definite. I am planning to, to go see that in movie in the, in the theaters. I just haven't gotten to go yet. But I look at the best picture noms, and there are more mainstream movies that are up for the best picture this year than there have been in years past. And I'm really glad to see that, that not only... Are there some movies that did well in the mainstream, but they are also movies that have been rewarded in terms of the awards and the nominations for the awards like that? I agree. That makes me very glad to see that because I know a lot of people have been to see those movies and and they were good movies. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I lo- at the beginning of the year, I looked and I went, that's a movie I definitely want to go check out. And it ended up being very, very good. It was it was just so nostalgic. It was such a nostalgic trip through Hollywood um, back in in the '60s that that it was just very enjoyable going back and enjoying that. Um, and, and then you see some of these other movies that you know, 1917, which we're going to get to here coming up, um, has just blown people away uh, in terms of the technical side of things. They've done a great job of marketing. I, I see an ad for that. I have seen an ad for that constantly the last couple of weeks. 
And I absolutely cannot wait to go and see that movie in theaters because, I mean, Roger Deakins' cinematography, the word is, and you're going to talk about this coming up, the word is that it is remarkable. It's surprised at the Golden Globes. People thought The Irishman was going to clean up and and be the one that was going to take things. And then 1917 came in and said, nope, just snatched it away for best drama as well as for best director. And then... um. Hollywood, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, won for Best Comedic Movie um, or Movie of a Comedic Nature. So who knows then in terms of what that means for the Oscars? Like, does that change the way that people are going to view the Oscar race now? We'll see. Then you've got then you've got a few of those movies that were a little bit more of, of the indie variety, and yet they were, or that were in one case foreign. And yet they have gotten great reviews. Parasite has gotten phenomenal reviews. Um, Korean-based movie that was that was made. And a lot of people have said it's a great, great satire. You've got Jojo Rabbit in there as well. Um, Marriage Story, which is on Netflix, uh, I believe, right? Yep. It is a Netflix movie. Yeah, I... I Actually, funny enough, I was on a um, when I was on a flight back here to Minnesota, I saw somebody watching Marriage Story uh, on the flight um, in a different seat from me, and I was like, interesting, you know. Yeah. So people and, and people have said great things about that movie. So, and then of course you've got Little Women in there as well, which which was a great new take on it. I mean, Greta Gerwig has been killing it here these last couple of years with the movies she's been doing. So great mix that that's in there too, and reflective of. What well, was a pretty good year at the movies and a great year at the movies box office wise with the money that was made. And of course, Avengers did help considerably with that. Oh yeah, big time. It's the biggest movie of all time to date. Um, you know, but like I said, there was there was I'm not saying that there wasn't it wasn't a good year for movies. It just was the movies that I saw were entertaining, but they didn't necessarily blow me away. And I'll give you an example. So touchstone kind of movies. Well, yeah. like the Irishman's getting a lot of toast and a lot of pomp and circumstances, but I would point out and I, I read the noms, I think, twice, and I don't think De Niro was nominated for the Oscar. While Pacino and Pesci were, it was nice to see Joe Pesci back, by the way. I haven't seen him in a long time because um, he hasn't been around in a long time. He's been quasi-retired. It's a very good movie, but it's a three-and-a-half-hour movie, so there's no pacing, and there is a plot, but the plot is like a, a trickle of a stream trickling under the leaves. You can barely see it, even though it's there. It's very much a character-driven movie, with a minor plot, very similar to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, you know, it's much more about the characters, and it's the least Tarantino-esque movie he's ever done, I think. And there is a plot there, sort of. And it's not until maybe the last 20 minutes that the plot really kind of comes together. The plot is the character arcs, and much less so plot-wise as, say, Pulp Fiction, which is also about different story arcs that loosely intersect. These all come together at the end. Right. But it's more like a day in the life, like Seinfeld. There's a show. You get up, you go to the movie ranch, you see all the people living there, you check on the old man, boom, there's a show. It was, it was kind of like that, and then only at the end of the movie was there a story. And so I think it was a good movie, it was an entertaining movie, but I'm still kind of on the fence as to how much I loved it or just kind of liked it. And how much did I like it? I liked it, but I didn't. I wasn't wowed by it. And the Irishman, great performances. It really is a good movie, but it's a three and a half hour movie. So the thing that really you lose there is the pacing and the snap. Right. Go watch Goodfellas, and then go watch The Irishman. Hopefully not on the same day, because there goes your whole day. Um, and you tell me which you think moves better. Well, we talked about this after we went to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we mentioned it on one of our old yeah. podcast episodes that with. With that movie, 
it's such a nostalgia trip. Oh, absolutely. I bought the movie, and when I watched it back, I was reminded just of how much I loved the the elements of old-time film, old-time television, and even music of the era that just permeate through the movie. You feel like you have literally been dropped into... 1969 Hollywood. Oh, I, I agree. And it, it's amazing that way, the way that you're just immersed in that. And I think that's part of the the charm of that movie. It's the least Tarantino-esque movie that he's ever done, perhaps. But I think that's because he's taking us all back to a time when he was getting into movies and, and kind of exploring that and explaining that a little bit. Oh, I agree. But I think the nostalgia and the being immersed into the environment, that's also a very, very good thing. I've kind of got the theory that, you know, how good is a movie on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, if it's entertaining at all, automatically it's a 5 because that's half the battle right there. Correct. All right, so how much north of 5 are you going to get? Well, it was very immersive. Okay, that's good. The tone and the acting and the blah, blah, blah. All of that's going to get you a higher number and hopefully you can get to the very elusive. I don't think I've ever maybe given out four tens in my life and I'd have to really think about it. That's a show for another day. Uh, but you know, think about for comparison's sake, say almost famous Cameron Crowe came out in 2000. I felt when that movie was over, like I had just gotten off the tour bus with the band Stillwater, which was from the movie. I mean, it was very immersive, very, very immersive. Cameron Crowe was, uh, was the younger boy character. He was a young underage reporter for Rolling Stone magazine, uh, and went along with, uh, I forget the band he went with. Um, in real life, basically, it's an, a self semi autobiographical story, an account, and you felt like you were there. It was very immersive, and there was a really good story and a plot through the whole thing, and they did it in about two hours. That's kind of the difference. You can be immersive and tell me a story, and that's kind of what this is about. If I want to just get immersed in the 60s, I'm sure Time Life has got a really good series of the 1960s, Where Were You? And that'll immerse me and give me little snippets of what was going on. Um, and I'm not bashing the movie. I'm really not. It was a good movie, and I was entertained by it, but it wasn't, you know, it just it didn't wow me. It just didn't. You know, it, it wasn't a bad movie. It just, I think, with all the hype and all, this is one of the toasts of the town. I wanted more. Reflective of the year in general, which is kind True. of what you're getting at. Yep. The, the, there wasn't maybe this legacy movie that came during the movie, but that's hard to know. Maybe, per- performance, at least for now. The, the, it takes time with those things. Performance is great. Background is great. Immersiveness is great. I mean, Avatar did 3D the way it's supposed to be done. It wasn't things jumping out at you. It pulled you in. That added to it. But, I mean, if that's all it was and there wasn't anything to it, I'd say this is... Yeah. I saw uh, when James Cameron did the bio, did the sort of semi demog uh, I can't speak this morning. Do, uh, do, oh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Documentary about the Titanic, not the movie Titanic, but I think it was Oceans of Titanic, yes. the Abyss of Titanic, something like that. It was just it was the Discovery Channel with a tiny bit of story thrown in, is what it was. Right. It's pretty much a documentary. Fascinating, interesting. Didn't wow me. You know, so if that's if really we're in the business of going to have a story told to you, it was interesting, but it took a long time to actually get to the story. One of the great things about the year, though, was those movies that occasionally did surprise. Like, hey, this kind of came out of nowhere, and I'm glad I went to go see that. For instance, Ford versus Ferrari. I yeah. love seeing that that movie is up for several different Oscars because that movie really surprised me. It was, a great, it was a good fun, just forget about your life for a couple hours and let's have some fun. Excellent piece of history kind of movie. 
Knives Out is up for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, that's one I missed. I really it, want to see it. That is a great movie. Did you it, see it? It's a, it is such a clever, layer-deeper kind of mystery movie. It It's awesome. <laughs> Daniel Craig. Uh, Not used just, to seeing James Bond in a deep southern drawl. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah, basically, Foghorn Leghorn yeah. in there. Yeah, it's just, just great. And um, oh, Chris Evans. Yeah, really, really funny. Anna de Armas, she's going to be in the, the new Bond movie as well coming up. Funny that she and Daniel Craig will be in that as well, but... We'll get to that later. Yeah, so yeah, it looked really good. I, I've heard nothing but amazing things about it. Do, I do want to see it. I think you'll like it a lot, Dave. Yeah, yeah. So is, when you grow up and you got a job and a wife and kids, and you don't get to see every movie until That's they right. until they come back around. So you got to pick your battles. Better right? that way sometimes. So twenty nineteen the gap. Twenty nineteen kind of wraps up with a movie that they'd released in like L.A. and New York. Just enough so that it could be nominated for Oscars, and that's 1917. But the movie really just opened wide as as we're recording this podcast just this past weekend. So it really kind of came out in 2020, but it will be up for the Oscars. I saw it the other night. I cannot recommend this movie enough. It was a fantastic movie. Where does it rank in terms of, let's specifically go war films? It's going to be in the top five, automatic. It's It really is well done, and... There's a lot of great war movies, but they're great for different reasons. I think as of this moment, I think the best war movie I ever saw, which is almost a gimme, is probably Saving Private Ryan. It's just a fantastic movie. Um, but, I mean, it's up there with others. I think Glory is one that people have kind of forgotten about. Oh, man. And that's that's one that people have really... Oh, what? I never heard of that one. Saw that one for the first time about a month and a half ago. See? And it was, it was fantastic. It's a great movie, and it kind of fell off the charts, but for reasons I can't figure out. I would think that would be on TNT every TC- couple months. TCM's been playing it. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, maybe they're thinking about Oscars. It was up for a bunch, and Denzel won for Best Actor and so forth. 1917, uh, there's no one really in the cast that's up front necessarily that you really know, but there's real brief cameos. Colin Firth is there for real quick and he's gone. Benedict Cumberbatch is there and gone. Uh, Mark Strong, really good British actor. You'll know him from the Kingsman movies there and gone. And the way the movie is shot, which is, you know, Sam Mendes who directs this movie has pulled this trick a couple of different times in a couple of different ways, but never for the entire length of the movie where the way it's presented with maybe two cuts, there's no cuts in the whole movie. You don't switch from one angle to the next angle. It's one camera, the whole movie, all the way through. Obviously, they didn't do it like live theater where they actually took the camera and shot it live through the whole thing. Clearly, that's not the case. But the movie's up for best editing and best visual effects, which ties into that because how do you bleed one take into the next take and make it look like it's the same take? That's artistry, and that involves a lot of different things. But it also involved a lot of... Uh, choreography to make it happen so that things got in the shot as people were doing these what at some points were 10 minute long takes right and you can't screw up and flub your line because then you got to redo the whole 10 minutes ago plus i was watching an interview that was done with roger deakins who's the cinematographer very accomplished very accomplished here's what some of what he's done Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, A Beautiful Mind, Skyfall, Sicario, Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. and now 1917. He has had some absolutely extraordinary movies that he has done. Um, he got an Academy Award for Blade Runner 2049 for his work there of cinematography. He was saying that even if like the sun would come out or something, or if it would get cloudy on a particular scene, 
they had to go back and start again at some point where it's like, ah, oh, yeah. because they're trying to do those continuous takes and then piece them together. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic movie, and the story is there from the get-go. It's, you know, there's sometimes there's a, the old adage of kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. And this is the most basic plot that you can imagine, but it doesn't matter. It's a good story. Hey, your brother's part of a battalion that's going to get wiped out tomorrow morning unless you and one other guy can sneak across the trench warfare and against the German lines. No man's the, I mean, land. You're going to try to stop this attack or everyone's going to die, including your brother. Go. That's the movie. And it's fantastically done. And it's well, well acted, and it's I cannot recommend it enough. I can't wait to go. I'm trying to get it worked out with my friends right now to, because there are a couple of us who really, really want to go see this movie, and it's like this is one of those things that we've kind of got to make the time for to go see together because it's it's one of those movies. Some, just, yeah, sometimes that's why we don't see the movies because I'm going to go see it with you, Hoove, and if I can't get my schedule with your schedule, well, now the movie's getting it could be out of theaters. Either I'm just going to break my promise to see it with you and just go see it, or I'm not going to see it at all until it's right. Like, and sometimes that happens. I've got a couple movies I was going to go see, and one thing or another happened, and it didn't happen. So it happens. Well, we've got a couple of movies that are coming out this weekend that are on the radar as well here in January. So let's let's repivot. Uh, let's talk about the first, I don't know, third of 2020. Let's go from what's out now, which would include 1917, which I'd say we just talked about. Yes. Let's take a look at the rest of the winter of 2019-20. Let's look at the spring up through uh, the end of May. So that'd be Memorial Weekend, and that technically kicks off the summer season. You don't have a big Avengers movie this year, so you don't have one in April trying to be a summer movie. So this, I guess, this is back to the old normal. That's right. So let's look at January. With 1917, we already talked about it. That's out right now. Go see it. And uh, this upcoming weekend, we've kind of got a busy weekend coming up. We do. And it features a sequel as well as a remake. Yeah. That's kind of where we begin. And and in January, people sometimes say that January is kind of like the wasteland of movies a little bit. There have been movies that that have disproven this. In well, the past, however. I, I agree. I think for a long time, there were so many movies that just for one reason or another, it just didn't come together. Well, we got to release it. Well, you can't release it and it gets completely buried. Let's release it at a time that people aren't going to the movies. And January through March, for a long time, just there weren't good movies coming out. This was almost the dumping ground. And then I think the movie that changed all that was Cloverfield, where let's put a movie out that's going to be a good movie. Let's put it out when nobody's going to the theater to see stuff. And it'll stand like a giant amongst the rest. Yep. And not just because it's just a little better. I mean, Cloverfield, like it or not like it, was a, I thought it was a good movie. I don't like shaky cam, but it is what it is. Um, and it works. It's and so, different. And other movies are starting to catch on to that now. And rather than just the award art house sort of movies, the ones that get nominated for Best Picture and get a short re-release so people can see them, uh, now you got movies that are kind of interesting like the ones we're about to talk about. The sequel that's coming up this weekend is Bad Boys for Life. Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are back once again to add another one to the series. I have never gotten to see any of the Bad Boys movies, Dave. Have you? Oh, yeah. They're good movies. Uh, the first one in particular. Um, the first one, Michael Bay was you know an MTV director that came under the wing of uh, Jerry Bruckheimer. And I may be wrong, but I think that was his first big movie, Michael Bay. And uh, it worked. It really, really worked. And that launched a great career from the 90s that bled into The Rock and uh, Con Air and Gone in 60 Seconds. And that whole, I mean, that was one of those all Michael Bay movies. But that kind of genre of movies, Bad Boys kind of started that. Bad Boys 2 got way, way too big. 
Uh, but Bad Boys for Life, I got to think this is going to be the last one, Bad Boys 3. Um, and it looks good. I do think it'll go well, and hopefully it'll do something to revive uh, Will Smith's career. It's kind of lagged a little bit lately. Uh, he found a little pickup with Aladdin, but... Last year, he was really starting to come back around again, it felt like, with the this different might movies cement it. that he was in. At, like Just being a little bit more involved yeah. with, with what he had going on last year. But, I mean, it's hard to, to recapture what Will Smith had going in the 90s for him. I mean, that was such a massive, massive decade for him well, he was across young. the board. He's in his 50s now. It's hard to be a 20-something when you're in your 50s. You know, that's Will Smith kind of, sh- you know, shtick. He's the, the hippest, coolest guy in the room. Doesn't usually happen when you're 50. I mean, I, it is what it is. I hate to say it. It's not an ageism thing. It just, it is. So maybe very, very few people can pull it off. And I think Will, to an extent, can. Uh, and I think we'll find that out this weekend. He's a producer this time around, yeah. too, for it. it. It's crazy when you look at uh, from the first one to the second one. It was an eight-year gap, and then you look at it from Bad Boys Two to Bad Boys for Life. Seventeen years, yeah. separating that. You know, I think interesting. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. When you strike while the iron's hot, mentality. Sometimes you're just shoving them out to make money. Where this is one that they've wanted to make for a long time. They came up with a good story that everybody liked, and and that's great. It's kind of like what happened with Indiana Jones, sort of. Um, people wanted to make it. Let's make it, and they made it, and came up with a good idea rather than shove it out the door to get it out. So what is Robert Downey Jr. up to post Avengers? Well, His newest superhero. He strength. is going. Yes, he is going to walk with the animals and talk with the animals in Doolittle this weekend. Quite a uh, quite yeah. a voice cast that's in there. Oh yeah, this you know how many times have they done Doctor Doolittle? Um, wasn't the last one? Wasn't that? Um, um, oh, the guy in the Mummy still can't speak today. Brendan Fraser. Yes, Brendan Fraser. Didn't he do a Doolittle? I'm not sure. Or am I thinking of uh, Jim Carrey, maybe? No, it was Eddie Murphy that yeah, did that. Yeah, Eddie Murphy Eddie did, Murphy did, that. did That's do right. little. Okay. Yep. So here's the newest incarnation. And this then, looks... of course, there was Rex Harrison way back yeah. in the day. This looks to be a more, less comedy, more fantasy, uh, wonder and fulfillment kind of vibe, I guess you could That's say. That's what it looks like. So it could be an interesting one. So no suit of armor can... Uh, can uh, Robert Downey Jr. carry all the weight just himself? I have no real idea of what the plot is about or or what the plan is. I think he's. I think there's travel involved. I think they're going somewhere, like trying to discover something. So, I mean, that's kind of what the Doctor Doolittle premise has been around is is traveling and and speaking to the animals, general animal conversation. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's I always look for that in a good movie: general uh, animal conversations. <laughs> Yes, conversing that's, with nature. That's a very formal way of putting it. Um, anyway, so that's also coming up uh, this weekend and that we have to expect. Um, Anything else for January? Otherwise, for January, I know there is um, a movie with Matthew McConaughey, actually with quite a cast coming uh, along. Guy Ritchie, yeah. And, yeah, Guy Ritchie's directing. Uh, that's The Gentleman. That's coming up next weekend. Um, Hugh Grant is also in it. Uh, Colin Firth. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Michelle Dockery. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's coming up next weekend. Um, and then on the 31st, uh, if you're looking for a little bit more of the fairy tale plus horror variety, there's Gretel and Hansel yeah. that is coming out. Um, switching the names around. I don't know if that has any particular application to the movie or this particular tale on it. Apparently, it's a pretty dark one, though, on the classic Brothers Grimm tale. Interesting thing of note, the director, Oz Perkins, son of Norman Bates, Anthony Perkins. Really? Yeah. That's where my mind went at first when you... Uh, 
when you mentioned the name, so that's, Oz that's has very a, interesting. Oz had a micro blink and you'll miss it cameo in one of the Psycho movies where he played a young Norman Bates, where his dad played the role through the whole movie. Wow. And yeah, so he's kind of taken after dad in a way, so good for him. All right, on to February, and we get our first comic book foray of the new year. DC. What do we have to expect from... Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Yeah, this a lot of people looking forward to this. She was the standout. She was the one non-casualty from Suicide Squad, I think. Uh, there was so much around you know, Jared Leto's Joker, and er, the whole movie just kind of not worked, but everybody loved Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. So she gets her own spinoff. Now, Birds of Prey has been spun off a couple of different times in a couple of different ways. Um, Is that so? They had a TV series a while back where it was about Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Batgirl, um, who, and it didn't really take off, didn't go very well, and that was a different version. I think it was on Fox a bunch of years ago. can't remember how long, 2005 maybe. Um, So here's another version, different version, where you get, um, I don't know, sort of a female suicide squad vibe, so to speak. But yeah, this looks good. A lot of people are looking for it, not just for Margot Robbie, but... I would be I'd be not surprised to see somebody else on that cast rise up along with her. So you're going to think for this and you're not going to see the left hand coming in. You know, the interesting thing about Suicide Squad was that it wasn't very well reviewed, no. but people who went and saw it really enjoyed it. It was one of those movies that went against typecast, it felt like. People who who saw it were like Suicide Squad. Yeah, I I liked it a lot. You know, people outside of those who reviewed it, but the reviewers weren't really big on it. That was kind of the general vibe that I got out of it. I, you know, a lot of people I know, just film going public, they it was okay, but not great. And it was again, it was performance based. I like the I really like Harley Quinn. Okay, and people were divisive about you know whether Jared Leto's Joker was any good and a brief show up by Batman and blah 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 blah. The performances were the highlight there. The story was a mess. It was all over the place, and it just kind of, from a story standpoint, which, again, is why we're going to the movies. We want to see those stories. If it's not a good story, then you lost me, and I might enjoy the movie just enough to get it a five or a six, but it's not going to make seven, eight, nine, definitely not ten territory, um, and that was kind of what the problem was, but you know, like I said, Margot Robbie stood out. And she really has done some great things in the last few years to really rise her star once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, was just in Bombshell as well Yeah, recently. in Bombshell. She's yep. up for an Oscar for that. And right. She's got a great couple of years under her belt, and she's going to keep on going. So keep going, Margot Robbie. I'm a fan. I hope for good things, and I think, I think this will be a positive surprise. I think this will be, call it a better version of Suicide Squad if you want. Okay. Maybe is the vibe. Maybe some lessons learned from Suicide Squad. I, I hope so. Maybe. I hope so. Now, this is one that when I heard about this, I was like, come on, guys. And then I read more about it, and I saw the trailer for it, and I'm intrigued by this one. So, Fantasy Island. Based off a TV show, right? Sort of. Now, Fantasy Island, the show, for those of you that never saw it, you go to this gorgeous island, Ricardo Montalban, or Khan, if you prefer, and his and his little side. I'd be tattoo. worried. I'd be worried automatically if I would see Khan there at the island. He did such a good job. He terrified me even in real life. You know, I'm sure he's a really nice guy, but boy, I can't not see Khan. Anyway, he's one of those eloquent villains. You go to this island and you've done a background. They've done a background on you. They know all about you. What is your greatest, most amazing fantasy? And sometimes it's not quite what you want it to be, but it's a learning experience. It was an Aaron Spelling show from the late 70s and early 80s, and it was popular. The plane. This is a version of that that is a little different. 
where um, it's much more horror-esque. So Blumhouse is involved in this, and you're going to go out to oh, Fantasy boy. Island, and if they're involved, <laughs> and they're and they're they're taking you for a ride, they're going to give you this most horrible thing. This really does look good, and I don't want to spoil too much of what's going out there, but imagine the show with a horror angle to it. It really does look good. Michael Pena has taken over the role of uh, Mr. Rourke. Uh, you know Ricardo Montalban, and you got Maggie Q, and a, a smaller name of well-known you know character actors that are out there. This one could really be a surprise if you give it a chance. Now, this is just based on trailers and what I've heard, and we'll see how the end product goes. But has potential to really be a surprise, maybe a sleeper hit. I, could I be. looked at the poster for it, and that alone just it, it's got that iceberg level intrigue. Where yeah. above it seems all right, but beneath the surface, it's like, wait a second, yeah, Some, something else is up here. This I I, I kind of want to see this one. This does look good. Same weekend, um, there's there's a movie with Will Ferrell and uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus that's caught our attention, and that's Downhill. That's about it appears about a family in the midst of an avalanche is what that's looking like in the basic premise. Do I have that right? Yeah, but it's also a dramedy. You've got two great actors and actresses. You've got you know you've got Julia Louis Dreyfus, Seinfeld, and Veep, and uh, you've got Will Ferrell. Everyone knows him, and this is a more it's comedic to a point, but it's a dramedy. So you've got very much, you got a, a marriage that's strained, and they're going to go and have a ski vacation and things go poorly. And uh, not just in the relationship, but there's an avalanche too. So it's going to be an acting performance by two good comedy folks, maybe kind of in the vibe of uh, Robin Williams and Good Morning Vietnam or Dead Poet Society, where it's a comedic actor that really works for some acting chops. I've seen some really good things by both of them before for drama. Uh, I know they can do it. Can it come together in such a way that it really makes this whole thing gel? I'd I'd be interested to see. It's an interesting combination, too, when you bring together two people like that. Um, Different forms of comedy, I would say. Will Ferrell, more of the goofy sometimes slapstick oddball comedy julia louis dreyfus more of the scathing comedy variety how will that mesh together is kind of what i'm thinking off the top of my head well especially if they're a couple you know where she might be the the more acid tongued of the two perhaps i could see a lot of good things coming from both of them in this uh this would be one of those acting roles and depending on how the story comes together it really could be another one of those sleeper hits which is kind of why it got our attention not just two characters playing against type but uh, it would be worth keeping on your radar. Meanwhile, that same weekend, um, doing his very best to take a chunk out of the love of Baby Yoda that has swept across the world will be Sonic the Hedgehog. That's also going on February 14th yeah. as well. Isn't Jim Carrey the voice of Sonic? I don't know if he's the voice of Sonic. I know he's one of the voices yeah. that's in there. So here's an interesting little note about that. So they came up, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog is a video game for Sega back in like 1990. They came up with a trailer for this, and nobody liked the way that Sonic the Hedgehog, the actual hedgehog, looked. Didn't look like he should, like he was resembling of the character at all. Enough fan backlash that the studio actually did a very unprecedented move rather than saying, well, this is what it is. They put the movie on hold, redid the visual effects, and redid the uh, look of Sonic the Hedgehog to that make is him look. Quite a precedent being Yeah, there. I can't think of ever having that before. And now fans seem to be much happier with the way of the look of Sonic. So now will it pay off? All right, we did our part. We did what you wanted. Now go see the movie. Yes. You know, and maybe things like that can happen again. So if you want the studios to listen to you, I'm just. 
just saying, maybe go see it, buy a ticket, and then go walk out if you need to. But I don't know. So it could be interesting. Maybe. It's, it's going to be kids' fair, but you know, if that's your thing or if you want to get immersed in, in nostalgia, Sonic the Hedgehog might just take you back circa early 90s. The following weekend, it's been done in movie form before. But Jack London's classic novel is coming back to the screen once again. The Call of the Wild uh, featuring, of course, the famous dog Buck. And Harrison Ford is going to be in it as well. Here's the weird, you know the dog is fully CGI? Yes. Which, I mean, I've seen, I think I saw a version of this before, maybe something similar. Where was an actual dog, trained dog, you know? So, I mean, you can get dogs to do all kinds of things, but... This one is much more expressive because it's CGI. It'll do it exactly what you want them to do. Correct. Why couldn't they just get a dog? I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. It it was a little bit strange watching the trailer and seeing that. Now, will the CGI be of a Planet of the Apes version, the, the recent Planet of the Apes version, or is it going to be something a little bit, a, a little bit cheaper well, than the tra- that? The trailer is out, and it I've is. seen it, and it, it looks very good. It really does. It but, doesn't quite have that that real CGI kind of look to it, though. It, it does, but it's, some of it is, okay, I want the dog to do this. Well, dogs don't do that. Right. And if you've seen enough dogs in your life, if you've grown up with pets, you know dogs don't do that. You know, that's a really cute look on a dog. That happens maybe once, twice a year that they give that cute look. Now it's doing it on command every little wink and kerner. So it kind of pulls you out of it maybe just a little bit. I don't know. It could potentially where you just start to realize there's no way that's a real dog. Well, the great challenge of The Call of the Wild is the fact that it is a story from the perspective of an animal. Yeah. And from the dog's perspective. Yeah, Buck. Um, and that's what's really hard is how do you translate that from a book to the screen? I mean, like I... Like we had mentioned, it's been attempted and, and done before, but when you bring in CGI like that into the equation and try to bring emotion or emotives to the equation like that too with with the dog, how how much is that really pushing it in terms of trying to do what the what the book was able to succeed in doing? I, I guess that's the challenge that's that's put before them here with putting this together. I think it does look like a good movie. I think it, it does. Looks, it yeah. looks it does look very beautiful in the way it's done. The dog is convincing enough that it's not like when they did episode one where all the CGI characters were a little out of phase and you could tell they were a good yeah. looking graphic. This looks much more realistic. Um, weather elements and so forth. Harrison Ford is certainly going to be enough of a, of a human anchor in this to make it work. Uh, I think it looks good. I think if you want to go out and have an adventure on a cold, what could be a cold late, late February weekend, go see Call of the Wild. Following weekend, if you want uh, Blumhouse to freak you out once again, you've got that opportunity because starring Elizabeth Moss, it's a new version of The Invisible Man. Did you see the trailer out. for this? I did not see the trailer. This? Actually, you know what? I think I did at a movie a while back. I think I remember. I'm pretty sure I did see a trailer for it, actually. This really could be good. I mean, really good. Well, Blumhouse, horror's their thing. That, it you know? really is. And they they put some stock in it. It's not just to grab some money. Uh, some of us have probably not seen the original classic, The Invisible Man. Um, but this is a whole different take. So imagine you're in a in an abusive relationship. And you escape, and all of a sudden, the guy, the abuser, winds up dead, and he wills you all of his proceeds. But the benefit, but you have to spend the night in the haunted house and be proven certifiably sane. Here's the catch: Is he really dead, 
Or has he determined a way to make himself invisible and he's going to try to drive you mad and no one's going to believe you and they're going to find you? So it's sort of a completely different take. It's almost like if What If Sleeping With The Enemy, an abusive relationship story with Julia Roberts, had a sci-fi element where he turned himself invisible and tortured her insane. It really looks interesting and the trailer is out for it. Um, this could really be good. And Elizabeth Moss, you know her from a lot of different things, uh, Handmaiden's Tale, and uh, she was in uh, Mad Us. Men. Oh, yeah, she, Mad Men. She, she can play insane, and so you almost believe her, and she can play real sweet. This really could be a good thing to check out. The trailer got me interested. It's so. a very interesting take on the old yeah. story of the Invisible Man as we know it, and like going a different direction from it basically. yeah this this has got me interested and me being you know horror fan i might come on babe let's go i don't wanna could be fun well you could try i could try yeah you can try that'll be february 28th uh that that one's going to be coming out and yeah i'm very curious if that one's going to to resonate and if that can if that can kind of hit home and do what you think maybe it has the potential to do because the potential it looks it. like it has some of those possible makings but we'll and a, see and blumhouse has a really good track record with particularly the horror movies they're making them because they love them and not just a yeah we'll make another one they really care and all these movies that have come out that could fall on their face they don't there's they've got something working over there all right dave Onward into March. Pixar. Onward. Their How new, about that? Their newest, their newest outing. You've got Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Their voices reunited. Anyway. Reunited. Yeah, could be a fun one. This this is going to be a fun movie. I think um, Pixar has a very rare. Eh, they're all like, hey, you know, they're up for a couple of Oscars and uh, you know for Toy Story four and um, who thought Frozen two was going to get shut out there? Sidebar. But uh, so Onward is the yeah, new one. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Onward is the newest Pixar Disney animated classic that your kids are going to be dragging parents to go see on uh, March 6th. I I have continue to wonder what is next for Pixar, you know, because it, it's not quite been the same the last couple of years in terms of really hitting home resonating. I mean, Toy, Toy Story 4, people liked it. When it came out, but I keep wondering what what's next for them in terms of ideas. They started to get into a little bit of a sequel role here over the last couple of years. Well, here you go. Maybe maybe this movie, not just in in premise, but also in its very title, well, don't, is symbolic of what is to come here for Pixar. Yeah, don't, don't box yourself in. Everyone knows Buzz and Woody and what they are and who they're supposed to be, so that boxes you in. Go into new territory, go into new directions with new characters that don't necessarily have that pre-expectation on them. This is, well, Buzz can't do that. Buzz would never do that. So you can a whole opportunity to start brand new and fresh slate and go where you want to go and go onward. That's right. Like how I, you like what I did there? I do. Did you like what I did when <laughs> oh, it came to jumping into the month of March? I got so. you. I got you. By the way, uh, good time to remind you, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, a place where you can go catch a lot of these movies when they uh, hit the screen here in these next several months. All right. Oh, yes. A Sorry. quiet place. Yeah. Too. We got to whisper a little bit. Did you get to watch the trailer for it yet? Yeah. Yeah, because the trailer, I think, was just released not all that long ago for a quiet place too and the movie the original movie i what a sleeper hit that was just be quiet i got you i didn't even mean to do that but You're it ended up good. working out yeah um john krasinski 
was was really the driving force behind the original Quiet Place. Um, and he and his wife Emily Blunt, real life and in the movie, yes, did a phenomenal job. And the kids who were in it were were outstanding. Great premise, something different in terms of the thriller slash horror, kind of in that realm. And John Krasinski was best known as a comedic actor. Correct. You know, who goes a completely different way. Straight and, man in a in a comedy. Oh yeah. But he I mean, you look at him in the office and he's the straight guy, but he's also a little on the crazy side. And he's got his crazy elements. Yeah. Oh yeah. He and his wife are known in real life as practical jokers, which is funny. Emily Blunt is best known as a as a dramatic actress. Yes. But she can do comedy, you've seen it. Yeah. And now she can do horror. And so Krasinski's back directing this one, um, and Emily Blunt is back. Cillian Murphy, who's in darn near every Christopher Nolan movie, now shows up in this one. Yeah, that was interesting seeing him pop up because it's proof that this this whole story, we're going to start to get a little bit more to the world uh, of this new reality with these monsters that are in it and this whatever it is that happened. It seems like the the world is going to expand a little bit here in part two. For those of you who don't know... Monsters have taken over the world, and they could hear a pin drop on a blade of pillows. I mean, it's just it's, they hear everything, so you just have to be really quiet. Yep. And that's how they live their world, and the more they reach out for something, the more they seek uh, assistance or whatever, the more risk it puts them at. So now they're going to find even more risk going into that big, scary, almost abandoned world. When I watched the trailer back and when i was watching it for the first time for the part first one? two well for part two, part two they showed a they showed day one at the beginning of it like where this all started and there was a there was a part yeah. that really caught my attention where um emily blunt's character she's she's driving the car backward because they're they're going back to pick up their dad um kids are in the car too and you see this bus that's careening toward them did you catch in the corner one of those monsters just starting to crawl out the front of the bus? Yes. I was like, "Oh my word!" Yes. What a great little little uh, moment there in that trailer. I mean, just a very small thing, but it was like, "Wow!" Go okay. s- go see the first one and go if see you it. Haven't. Go see it before March twentieth. That's when the next one comes out because it's well worth seeing. And if it grabs your attention, then there's a whole other one coming out, which is I think worth checking out. Mulan hits the following weekend, the live-action version of Mulan coming to the screen the following weekend. A lot of excitement, a lot of hype for this movie. A lot of people wondering what's going to be different compared to the cartoon. Well, you've got Disney putting real life to their animated catalog. We've had Aladdin, we've had Pinocchio, or not, uh, Dumbo, uh, The Lion King. Mulan is just the newest one. So you've got the gal that rises to, you know, rather than have her father crippled, taken into the Japanese military back in ancient times, she rises to become the warrior. Now there's the comic already version of that from like mid nineties. Isn't that when it came out? The cartoon, yes. I think. So now you've got the live action version and Disney's got more of those coming too. So Disney, I think needs to get into original territory again. Um, I think there's only so much juice they can squeeze from this. And I think they've got some of their best already out. So you get to Cinderella and Snow White, and then what? People are pretty excited, though, for the the yeah. live-action Mulan. Although oh, yeah. Everyone's like, where's Mushu? Where's Mushu? I mean, clearly Beauty and the Beast was a, was a big one. I mean, they've, they've hit or miss, but I, like we've said before, going into original territory, let's not lose sight of that. And I think Disney needs some hits. They need to pay for the Lucasfilm acquisition. Here's some hits. We'll just kind of give them a polish, and we'll get them out for yeah. better, for worse. 
let's do something original. Let's not Agreed. not do this, but they did like a hundred last year. Yeah, let's you know squeeze them out one every couple years. You know, let's let's move into new directions. But I could, not to say that it won't be good. Could be it looks very well like it could be good. You referenced it at the beginning of the podcast when you talked about us returning and getting out of production nightmares. At long, long, long last, the New Mutants will hit the screen in early April. And people who are a fan of of Marvel and of the X-Men side of Marvel, they actually saw the trailer. And I'm seeing people going, the trailer is kind of looking good. Yeah, People are a little surprised in that regard. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything for the movie. But it's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's a very interesting backstory. This movie's been done and ready essentially for two years and it's one of those 20th century fox movies that disney picked up on and uh it was originally thought of maybe it'd be its own x-men spinoff and didn't really they decided let's not do that and instead it was more of a horror element to it let's have these people with superpowers locked away but now they're going to use their powers to try to break out you know for the better of humanity and it's been well what are we going to do with it we're going to reshoot it no we're not going to reshoot it well the movie's been done for two years and finally, it's coming out. <laughs> so you've got Charlie Heaton. You probably know him best from Stranger Things, Alice Braga. Yep. Um, this this is going to be an interesting one, but there's definitely a fan base that want it and have been waiting for it. Um, so this anticipation has been building. Maybe this is the best way to do promotional for a movie, intentional. There's nothing wrong with the movie. Let's just hold it back for a couple of years and build that right. anticipation. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, Maisie Williams yep. is in it as yep. well, too. So, yeah, good, pretty good cast that they've assembled together. And it's it, it's going into kind of the darker realm of the X-Men a little bit with, with the new mutants. And the trailer certainly reflects that when you see it. All right, let's get big. Yes. Well, actually, first, uh, another one that that weekend, Peter Rabbit 2, if you're looking for a kids and cartoon type version, Peter Rabbit 2 is going to be coming out uh, that that weekend as well. Yeah, time time to go big. April 8th, No Time to Die, the 25th James Bond movie. It will be the final Daniel Craig movie um, with him as James Bond. The trailer looks really good. Like, there's a lot of intrigue. There are a lot of interesting callbacks to old Bond movies. Um, One in particular that people have made some interesting threads to. I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, But there's some interesting fan theories that are going around in regards to this movie. But Bond is in retirement, essentially, coming into No Time to Die. He. Uh, He and Madeline Swan, they have gone off to Jamaica and they are just enjoying life. But it's James Bond. He gets called back in. The world has kind of moved on around him. The double O's have moved on a little bit around him, and that's going to bring in a character who who is a double O. Well, I think the secret's out on that. I mean, it's in the trailer. So there's a new 007, and it's not not James Bond. 007 is just a code name. So when 0012 or whoever gets killed off the mountain... They have to. Oh, they have an open slot on the double O program. They get a new double O twelve. What makes double O seven any different? Bond's retired. Well, we have an opening in the double O seven slot. So there's a new double O seven, and it's a gal. That's right. So that's that's how in the are trailer. they going to work together? How, how's that going to happen? And is she going to survive the movie so that Bond takes back double O seven by the end? I mean, that's kind of a big open question. So that's one big secret that was spilled in the first trailer. So it's it's out there. Um, this could be a very interesting one, and with this being the fifth and final Daniel Craig outing for Bond, 
Um, it's going to have a sense of finality to it in a way. Obviously, there will be more. There will be a new search for Bond, and I'm sure at a later episode, you and I could speculate as to who we think would be a good Bond. And One of the great things that the Daniel Craig Bond movies have done is they've recaptured some of the nostalgia while at the same time providing a newer, more rugged kind of James Bond with the way that they've put these movies together. It This movie looks like it's got that same kind of look and feel to it. The question is, what new element is going to be added on the villain side of this with Rami Malek? How is that going to provide an angle to this? What are some of the threads and connections that come with this? Is Madeline Swan really betraying Bond in this too? It's implied. It's implied, and yet at the same time, it doesn't seem like it's that simple either. So all of those things come into into the picture here. And again, is there more to this maybe than what meets the eye? There are some very, very interesting things that, that have been theorized when it comes to this movie. We're just going to have to wait and see because, again, I, some of these theories, I'm not going to get into them now. There are some very interesting theories people are making on this movie. So anyway, troubled production April shoot, 8th. but that's pretty much the norm for Was Bond movies. Oh yeah. Oh, there's always script issues, but that's every Bond movie ever made ever. And so most not of- quite as much as Spectre. Spectre, they, I mean, there was, the, I think there was the leak that came around the time of Spectre. Of well, that was such an open, translucent secret that I mean, everyone knew that that's not James Oberhauser. It's really Blofeld. Well, there was that. So who's back? By the way, this time, obviously not a secret. Um, this really does look to be interesting. I think this, uh, I think this is going to be a good finale for him and. We'll springboard into whomever the new Bond turns out to be. I had a brain fart there. Yes, when it came to pre-production, like before they even got rolling, there was there were changes as far as who was in the director's chair. Yeah, that's that's where the planning had kind of carried Fukunaga. That's who it yeah. is. There had been the snags in pre-production there specifically. By the way, even though Fukunaga, he's got you know Asian ancestry, he's the first American to direct a Bond movie. Kind of interesting to wow. think about that. Okay, yeah. Again, that's coming up early April. Real quick, April 17th, the Trolls World Tour. This is their sequel. Anna Kendrick, Justin Timberlake, and others are back. Maybe another hit song coming. You never know. Um, could be a fun one. The first Trolls movie was a nice come-out-of-nowhere hit. Uh, this one could be a good follow-up for that, so bring the kids to Trolls. That's right. World Tour. Looks like they're rocking out a little bit from the looks of it, anyway. Then we hit May. There's one more, though, oh. in late in late April I wanted to get to, and it's from from the, the studio that made Get Out and Us, and that's Antebellum. Did you see a trailer oh, on this I, yet, I Dave? know about it. I haven't yeah. seen the trailer. Uh, once again, carrying on from the, the kind of concepts that they went with in terms of horror um, that Get Out and Us addressed, Antebellum's going that direction as well. Um, very creepy looking trailer. Very, yeah. very creepy trailer. Um, and uh, apparently it's like a, a kind of an alternate reality kind of story, once again, and, and a horror reality that is in there. But the trailer just, it, it makes your skin crawl when you see what they do with it there. Um, once again, much like Get Out and Us, different kind of idea conceptually on how to address horror. Yeah, I'm telling you, they do such a good job, some of those horror movies. There's a lot of those horror thrillers that are 
more than numerous. I think they're finally realizing there's a good formula to do this, and Blumhouse is showing the way. There's so much more than you would normally get this time of the year. So it's I think it's a genre on the way back up. And a lot of mind benders as well with those. Yeah. The way they, they we'll talk Christopher Nolan things. when we talk summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We will. That's coming. We will. So Marvel, not done yet. They're going to launch into May with long time coming, long overdue, I would say. Scarlett Johansson is back as Black Widow, her, her finally her standalone movie. That's right. We're going to get a little bit of her origin here is what it's looking like. This is a, uh, of course, if you have seen Endgame, you know what happens with Black Widow there. So this is going back. But are we going forward out of it too? Hard to tell at this point. But um, good cast um, uh, that that's going to be involved with this too when it comes to who is Black Widow? Where does she come from? How and, does she become the Black Widow we've come to know? And Kevin Feige said this in, in an interview when they were talking about the movie during the national championship in a commercial. He said that out of all the characters, Black Widow has gotten some of the biggest clamor for a movie of any of them. And she's not your typical superhero. She's got a very checkered past that comes with her. And we're going to get a little bit more into that here it looks like with this movie and and her origin story. Well, every superhero has got some unearthly power from one reason or another, a radioactive spider or they're an alien or whatever. She's just exceptionally well trained. That's it. That's her superpower. She That's has, right. She can't shoot lasers out of anything. She's, she's a just, super spy. Yeah, but she's very agile and that's her superpower. Apparently, this is going to be a prequel movie that is between Civil War and Infinity War, okay. is what I'm seeing here. So it's it's about her origins. There's going to be stuff about her origins in there, and yet we are going back only slightly in the timeline. Which tells you there could be a pop-up character, perhaps, that'll show up one more time. Maybe Possibly. so. Don't rule yeah. that out. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Hawkeye gets in there. I wouldn't be either. Um, th- those two characters have been really attached together in a lot of ways in their stories as well. Plus, given what we know about the timeline there, it does make me wonder. It does make me wonder about her character moving forward. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Anyway. You're thinking about it, uh, Days of Future Past? X-Men reference? Maybe, maybe something like something, that. Okay. Just something that could reshape the future. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wonder, um, if, wonder if Tony will appreciate that. Anyway. Anyway. From World War One with 1917, World War Two. we're going to revisit this in what is a very interesting movie, not a lot known about it yet, Greyhound, Tom Hanks, World War Two, um, where he is the commander of a naval ship trying to outrun a blockade of German U-boats. This is a movie that is produced and written by Tom Hanks and starring him. Um, different director, though, but this one could be an interesting one. Everything that Tom Hanks has involved himself in with World War II, whether it's Saving Private Ryan or, of course, Band of Brothers and later The Pacific, are really, really good. So this is kind of a, a period of history that's a love affair for him. And so not a lot is known about this where he plays the warship commander. I think it's uh, maybe an aircraft carrier. I'm not really sure. But he plays Admiral Forrestal, I think, is his character, which is a real character. So this is, uh, like I said, not a lot known about it. Apparently somewhat historically based. We'll find out as more comes out on it. But this is one that I've got questions about, but it's got my interest. It's based off a book called The Good Shepherd. Yeah, that's by what it, yeah. C.S. Forrester. And that's what it is. It's a, a period of World War II and a part of World War II that I don't think has been really tapped into all that much in terms of exploring the history of it. And that is the the naval side of the war with the U-boats and and how terrifying the U-boats were. The German U-boats 
were a big, big part of the early portion of World War II and oh, how yeah. effective they were um, and, and being able to, to dominate the sea and just to be able to strike at whether it was convoys or strike at shipping or merchant things like ships, that. Yeah. yeah, merchant ships. They were all over the place on the waters. And, and that was a portion of World War II that doesn't always get talked about when it comes to the historical this, side. This might be the first time since the old 60s, run silent, run deep comes in. So this, keep your eye on this one. Still more going to be coming out, but this really could be a good movie. I feel like dramatic thriller comes to mind. Here's one my kiddo is getting excited about. We've been showing him Scooby-Doo, and he's loving it. They've got a new modern version of it called Scoob. That's right. Not Scooby-Doo. You've got Zac Efron and Will Forte, and got a shout-out to Frank Welker, because he's been with Scooby-Doo since the get-go. He's Fred and probably half the bad guys. Is this an origin story? Because that's what it looks like. I think it certainly could be, but this is um, this is going to be a fun one. It's animated, of course. Um who doesn't love Scooby-Doo? I mean, if it's done right, say what you want about the Freddie Prinze version of the movies and Sarah Michelle Gellar. They were what they were. Um, there's a dark Scooby-Doo to be made one day, I think. It would be kind of fun. But this one is not it. This one is very family-friendly, and I will most likely be there with my kiddo. He loves Scooby-Doo. Darkly comedic Scooby-Doo. That, that would be kind of How come Fred and Daphne always have to go explore on their own? <laughs> Sure. Well, they, they referenced that in the old cartoon, too. I know it. Anyway, so uh, that's how it goes. But I wanted to go back to the previous weekend quick. Oh. There, there were a couple other movies. Artemis Fowl. There's going to be an Artemis Fowl movie that is on the way in early May. I believe it's... May, end of May. I think I've got May 29th for oh, that Oh, you one. do? Ha- yeah. Oh, you didn't get the back page. I didn't get the back page. Oh, it was only the one. I saw May 9th, but May 29th, that that makes sense. Okay. Uh, it, could, it could be. What are, where I was seeing here, I had seen that it was that it was scheduled for May, although Let's the, let's talk about it. We'll jump into it. It has August on it. So, uh, anyway, uh, um so that was one plus there was also the uh the personal history of David Copperfield, which is yeah. it looks like going to be a Fox Searchlight and Walt Disney one together there that they're going to be doing. Um, as well, that's going to be in early May too. Um, I didn't realize Artemis Fowl had gotten pushed back a little bit. It sounds well. Like. Let's let's talk about it. Artemis Fowl is a series of books that could be the next big thing. Uh, Artemis Fowl as um, his parents are super bad guys. I think they're they're villains and criminals, right? And so he is trying to. Unlock... It is May 29th. Yes. Okay, May 29th. So about Memorial Weekend. So we'll kind of jump ahead here a little bit. And he's trying to unlock a secret about his parents, I think it is. So he's a kid with, you know, got an interesting pedigree and he's got those abilities and skills. We're not talking Harry Potter, but he's a, a kid with uh, better abilities than most, I guess you could put it that way. Yes. I did not read the books growing up. I know a lot of people who have, though. So I, I'm curious if the people who read the books when they were younger, if maybe they will be really if they will really gravitate toward the movie. There was a lot of young adult books that have been made, been translated into movies with more or less success, whether it's Harry Potter, whether it's uh, The Hunger Games, whether it's The Maze Runner. Uh, they tried to do it with some others, like John Carter didn't work so well. This one, we'll see how they market it and how they put it forward, but Artemis yeah. Fowl, this has already got a built-in group for it that have read the books. Uh, I think this is the first couple of books put together. I think it's not necessarily book to book to book. Multiple. I think I think it's just kind of a general idea, and they're going to take uh, better parts from some of the books and kind of put them together. So that's what I've heard. It's not a total faithful reproduction of any particular book, but stay tuned. This could be a this could catch fire and go. 
They must have confidence if it's coming out Memorial yeah. Weekend. I think they it got moved around, it looks like, in terms of the timing of when it was going to be released, because even on the poster it says August 9th. It's, it's typical for don't, Hollywood. Don't know. But back to May 15th, you listed two movies there that I don't know a thing about. So tell, tell us a little bit about them, Dave. Well, first one, you've got The Woman in the Window, sort of a drama horror movie. You have Amy Adams, you have uh, Gary Oldman. You have a really good cast in there. Anthony Mackie. Anthony well. Mackie's in it. I mean, there's, uh, and there's, is it? It's not uh, it's not Meryl Streep that's in it, but there's somebody else. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. She's in it. Um, it's got a good cast around it, so this could be one of those movies. We'll hope that the story's going to hold up. Creepy Victorian mansion, the woman in the window. How's it going to hold together? And if you got Anthony, if you got Gary Oldman in there, this is a man who can be creepy, asking you for passing the rolls at dinner. So if you get him in a good creepy movie, being okay, creep it up, Gary. You got this. It's Commissioner Gordon days where he's the cool guy. Just go watch him in The Professional and Dracula, and he's a creepy guy. So here's the other one, Organ Donor. Apparently, this is going to be connected to the Saw franchise. It was a story conceived by the comedic actor Chris Rock, who's also in it. What? Yeah, and Samuel L. Jackson's in it with him. He came up with an interesting idea and decided not just, I have an idea, said, I'm going to make this idea come to life. So in some way, shape, or form, it is connected to the Saw franchise. Uh, Lee Winnell is back. Uh, I think he's also directing it. Chris Rock wrote it and is starring in it with Samuel L. Jackson. This one, I think, could be uh, Ghostbusters kind of comes to mind, minus the supernatural element where you found that perfect zone between tingling your spine and tickling your funny bone that just kind of was perfect combination, salty and sweet. I have a feeling this could be the lightest and darkest version of the Saw movies. It really could be something interesting. Stay tuned. I mean, the cast alone, it's yeah. very bizarre when you consider where those movies have have been previously. And like the, and the fact that Chris Rock came up with a new idea on how to take a franchise that has been down the road quite a ways now and is maybe in Haven't some respects run its course. Yeah, aren't there eight Saw movies? Eight, so now yeah. you kind of consider it a reboot I've if you want. I've not seen a single one. It's got, pardon the pun, connective tissue. Uh, oh, my word. So Organ Donor coming out middle of May. Uh, it could be really, re- I think it's got potential to be really good. It's definitely on my radar. It's so. really intriguing, yeah. bottom line, considering who's attached to it and what it is. It's like, what? Really? Yeah. How's that going to work? But anyway. Then um, we get to the end of May. We get to, I think this is Memorial Weekend, isn't it? Uh, maybe the weekend after. May Memorial. 22nd. May 22nd. So we're coming into the unofficial start of summer movie season. First of all, for the kids, SpongeBob movie is coming out. Um, Sponge this, on the run. Sponge on the run. So the kids can get dropped off at SpongeBob while mom and dad go across the hall to Fast and Furious 9. Family. Yeah. When Family. We're, when we're not fighting. Coronas. <laughs> yeah. When when they're not fighting and when they're not splitting the movies off into two completely different franchises and, and when the, the director is wearing a shirt that says Justice for Han and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. Why would you bring back the guy who killed a beloved character and give him his own movie? Eh. I don't know. Hobbs and Shaw apparently did okay. It underperformed a little bit, but it didn't bomb or anything. Um, Justin Lin is back though. Justin Lin one. is back. Who I, I got a lot of confidence in this guy who really revived the Fast and Furious franchise and did good things for Star Trek too. Shout out. 
Um, but yes. you've got uh, yes. John Cena, another former wrestler. The Rock John is not Cena. in this one, to my knowledge. So you got John <laughs> Cena instead, Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez. Here's a question. Do Vin Diesel and and uh, Dwayne Johnson ever do a Fast and Furious movie together oh, again? Yeah. They will? I'm not saying they will, but they certainly could if things come around. You ever, if you haven't learned any lessons in Hollywood, is that never say never. If they can make money again. off of it, you bet they will. If nothing else, it could be a selling point. You know, you get a good couple of scenes where those two are going nose to nose and you know that it's not all acting. Makes for a better scene, makes for a better draw, makes you want to, I don't know, makes you want to see it. Never say never. Charlize Theron is back once again. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Not sure in what kind of element this time around for it because I didn't see the last one. She was the villain, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, you know, Fast and Furious, I think by the end of the second one, had kind of run out of steam. Yeah. And then they started, you know, Tokyo Drift and Say What You Want. And then they totally revitalized the whole thing with Fast Five. And it just breathed new life into everything, kind of like Mission Impossible when J.J. Abrams got involved. So now with this second lease on the franchise, how far can they get this thing to go is this family squabble that's going on behind the scenes maybe enough to sink the ship? Family. Family. We'll see. Fast 9. Fast I live and my life nine. a quarter mile at a time. I don't know how much further they can keep stretching it out, but they seem to have a pretty unlimited tank of gas when Vin, it comes to this. When Vin Diesel's pushing 60 and he's still the rebellious, you know, bald James Dean, that becomes a pushing of credibility. We'll see how far they can keep that going. Anyway, Fast 9 coming up, at, or Fast and Furious 9, that's that's all we know of it in terms of title, coming up end of May. Not a trailer yet for it. No, but too I, far away. There's going to be one that's coming here pretty soon, it sounds like. That'll yeah, the further down the preview you go, the less put together the movie is. So as we get more through the spring, you'll start hearing more about it, seeing more about it. But uh, yes. could be an early uh, big... Uh, big flag in the summer season that's coming up so well when you start and it, we are going to do a much more in-depth jump into the summer oh yeah up later on but when you start to look ahead there are there are some big ones that are on the horizon especially getting into june uh that just say a, it you know what's coming there's a certain 1980s-esque um vibe to to june oh, um that's not where i was going one but I with got a you. superhero movie but the other with a bringing back a classic from the 80s um that might take your breath away with I, with coming back once again so since you've, you've, you've heard i see what you got there so let me ask you a question since we're talking about top gun which will be out in june uh you'd never seen the first one so i had you come over and watch it right what, what, what were your impressions this far away removed uh, like it didn't blow me away. Like it, it wasn't like a whoa. It didn't grab me like that. But it, it was very good, and I could see why why people really enjoyed it a lot. I mean, that was it, it's it's Tom Cruise. It, it's it's Tom Cruise yeah. essentially. That's that's his movie there, and and you can and I could see why they um, why it was so beloved and why it is so beloved and. Apparently, the way that they've shot this new one, I mean, it's pretty exciting hearing that that they did their own stunts and they did their own their own shooting of it in that way. I mean, that's that's how Tom Cruise likes to do things. So, well, originally the movie was supposed to come out summer of 2019, a year ago, as we record this six months ago, and they decided to do a lot more actual in cockpit photography on actual planes. So, imagine you get a selfie while flying an F twenty two. With Tom Cruise actually in the plane, and it's not a fake green screen anything. It's he's really flying, and uh, that's how they did this. And so that took a little extra time, and so that's going to be extra wow factor. So 
hopefully the story is going to be good and wow it looks like you're going to get some amazing aerial photography that is going to be yep. all but non-faked so that's right this looks really really good between that and then you've got wonder woman 1984 yeah. in there as well in june and then you get to july and oh say it oh tenant christopher Nolan. oh man he's drooling get him Can't a bib wait can't wait for tenant nick get him a bib he's doing the show for you Forget those guys. They wouldn't even let us in here. So (laughs) seriously, that trailer looks so cool and just completely like it's going to be another mind bender as well. Like, and and this time, well, a time bender too. It appears. So, and we'll talk more about the summer of 2020 as we get closer to it while we were on May or so. But hey, spring does look to be maybe a little more active than normal. It looks promising. One big thing you and I both said off air is that there's no serious one major tentpole. Because there's no Avengers this year, so the Avengers assemble. There's a couple assemble. solid tent poles, though. Yeah, there's some definite noteworthy cornerstones, but like the ginormous, this is the movie, I don't see necessarily one of those. Maybe with the exception of No Time to Die. Yeah. I think that one's going to be pretty big, although it, it's going to have a lot to do to get to where Skyfall got to. And I mean, Spectre did really well to follow it up in terms of how much it made, but how big can it really be? I don't... Well, it the, does. It does really stand out, though. At that particular time in the calendar, it, yeah. it has the potential to be a big. It's on its own. They haven't. One. They haven't really started the publicity on it yet. I mean, there's a trailer and a teaser, but they haven't made the push yet. So you watch. This will be fun. Yeah. Hey, it's going to be a good time to go to the movies. That's right, and a great place to go to the movies is the Bemidji Theater, and we're pleased to have them as a sponsor of the podcast for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Boy, I think we did pretty good for just getting back here for the first time in what felt like an eternity. We had so much to say. I know we did. It was. I, I'm sure that it translated in terms of how we were. But oh. thanks for joining us today. Um, we're looking forward to the year that's ahead in movies. We're looking forward to more to come here in the next couple of weeks. As far as maybe looking back a little bit and kind of getting up to speed a little bit. Um, of course, we're looking forward to the Oscars as well, as we talked about at the beginning of the episode as well. Yeah, go see a movie uh, and take your pick. You're going to start getting some releases, re-releases of movies that are up for the Oscars, and they've got such a short turnaround. Don't let that pass you by. Go see some shows and go see some of the new ones coming out. If it gets your attention and you kind of want to see it, go see it. Get a babysitter, go see it. As best you can, anyway, as, as your you time can. suits, as you talked about a little bit earlier. And see him in the theater. There's a lot yeah. of those, the debate rages, but you just can't, you can't equal that. I mean, there's sometimes drawbacks that can be expensive and people talking and blah, blah, blah. But boy, when you get it right, boy, there's, it just makes it so much of a better experience. Cannot be beaten in my loudmouthed opinion. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm loudmouth. He's Dave Brooks. <laughs> and we will see you at, at the, the movies. movies.